So Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in the earth in this hour. We thank you for releasing intercessors and watchmen on the wall. And so Lord, I'm asking, even now, would you release grace upon these? Just as you release grace upon Anna, would you release grace upon these? I'm asking for uh, direction and clarity, and you would speak and thunder into their hearts with the reality of your will. I'm asking for finance to be released unto them, God, just as the, the Levites in the, in the tabernacle of David were without other encumbrances, God. Would you set these as watchmen on the wall, just as you did them? So, Lord, I'm asking, release even the grace that you released upon Anna. Release the Anna anointing upon them. They might fast and pray. God, I pray you'd stir their hearts even in another measure. Draw them and allure them to this reality. Make a way even where there seems to be no way. And Lord, confirm it to their heart in dramatic ways. Dreams and visions, prophetic utterances. Make it real. And I pray finances would flow unto them, unto this, that they would find themselves serving you night and day in the house of prayer. So Lord, we love you and we bless you for these. We bless them in the name of Jesus. Good. Everybody that agreed said amen. All right. You may be seated. All of you that stood, we want to invite you. We have a quick information meeting that we're going to do uh, immediately following the service. It'll be right here in this room here with the double doors. And uh, it'll be just a time where you can get questions answered. We'll give you some information about IHOP. We will uh, answer anything you may want to know about our internships or staff or the Anna calling. Perhaps you want to know a little bit more about that. So I just want to invite you, and, and you didn't have to stand to go to that meeting. Anybody can, can go to that meeting and get information about uh, IHOP. In fact, if you're interested in just knowing more about staff in general, that is the way to, to find out about how to get involved here. All right, good. Good. Find with me uh, Exodus 34, and we're going to land on Exodus 34 in just a minute. Had a good time this morning, went over and spoke at a local church here, just around the corner actually, in Northeast Metro Christian Fellowship. Is that, yeah, Wendy, hey. Wendy was there teaching the kids. My, my sons came out there talking about, we're doing a flag dance. I go, what do you mean? What is something y'all are doing for your whole, with the kids? Oh, cool, cool. My guys want to get in on that, so I got to figure, figure out how to explain that. But uh, so a couple of our couple of uh, our staff actually go there, and it was just great connecting with your pastor, and just just love that place, love that fellowship. They they love prayer and they love IHOP, and so it's a blessing to be with folks like that. Good, let's pray. Lord, again, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come. Lord, this is our greatest need in this moment. Just as I was asking that you would unveil the beauty of your Son. Lord, enlighten our eyes that we would see the man Christ Jesus as he really is, that every false conception of God would, would fail. I'm asking even again, Lord, reveal the emotions of your heart toward us, the reality of who you are. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you release revelation, the great mercies, the great loving kindnesses of your heart, that we would know you as you are. Lord, I'm asking, would you come? Would you allow me to speak as you'd have me to speak? Let your anointing come. Let every heart be open and attentive, every ear be open and uncircumcised to hear the word of the Lord. Let it be circumcised to hear the word of the Lord, God. So I'm asking, move by your spirit. 
and give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Good, and everybody said amen. So I had a cool phone call on uh, last week. I was talking to our friend Mike Bickle, and uh, we had about 40 minutes on the phone together, and he, first thing, he gets on the phone, he goes, all right, now tell me the deal, for real, tell me the deal. Are you telling me that in Atlanta right now you have a worship-led prayer meeting that's been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week? I go, yeah, that's it. He goes, no CDs. I go, none. He goes, no tapes. I go, no, no, no. It's all live worship and prayer. I go, that's right. He goes, you know, it might be a little one guy up on the stage sometimes, right? But it's all live. I go, that's exactly right. He goes, do you understand what that means? And I go, I, I hope, like maybe. He goes, since Genesis 1, starts preaching to me. Only way Mike can. He goes, since Genesis 1, there has never been in the history of the planet a night and day reality of worship-led prayer in your city uh, for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any amount of time. Since Genesis 1, he goes, do you understand how cool that is? He goes, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And he goes, I am so jazzed. He goes, I want you to go and tell those guys, tell all those guys in Atlanta. He said, you tell them that old man Mike said, I am jazzed and I'm excited for you guys. And I'm blessed by what you're doing. So there's your little word from Bickle. He was real excited. More than I've, more than I've, he was pretty intense. He was excited. So we're online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Charlotte is about two months away. They're 120 hours a week, and they're shooting for, what would two months be? March, April, May. So they're shooting for May to be 24-7. I think it's really cool that Atlanta and Charlotte are coming online almost at the exact same time. I mean, you know, it could be years apart. But instead, it's just months apart, Atlanta and Charlotte. Those are sister cities. And there's a lot of stuff that the Lord has said about Atlanta and Charlotte together. And the fact that 24-hour prayer seven days a week is coming out of both those cities at the exact same time. Something is up, guys. God's doing something unique in this hour. And so uh, it's a real cool thing. But uh, it's an, it, the word that I feel like in my heart about it is it's, it's epic, yet it's weak as can, get, as can be. I mean, you check our stuff out, and it's, it, you know, many, many times of the day. It's just, it is. It's one little person up there just, you know, in their weakness up there, just slogging away and just going for it. And God is so faithful. He comes and he breathes on it. It's a blessing. But, uh, yeah, something is definitely stirring in this time. So I just wanted to bring you that message. I thought that was very cool. All right, we are on uh, four, our fourth part of a, a series that we've been doing on the subject of mercy. And uh, this will be our last message on this, um, on this topic for now. And so I'm not going to try to, I'm going to try to wrap us up. There's one big point I need to get to tonight, and so I'm going to do my best to get to it and try not to uh, re-preach the previous messages. If you want those, I would encourage you to grab them from our bookstore. Uh, probably one of them at least, maybe two will be online if you want to do that. But um, this issue of God's mercy, it has absolutely become uh, one of the, the main uh, paramount things that I think that the Lord is uh, uh, saying. And it's more than that, it's something he's trying to uh, release in a billboard kind of way, I think, right now. I think this message 
is extremely pertinent to the hour and the day in which we live. I think the understanding of God's mercy right now is extremely important for the the church, for the body of believers. We've got to know who he is. We've got to know his name, his nature. We've got to understand him as a God who's merciful. If we do not understand him as a God who's merciful in this hour, it can be very negative for us in the way that we position ourselves with God and with others. And I'm going to explain a bit of that now uh, in a a few minutes. I want to go through a little bit on mercy, and then uh, I want to make one big point. And I want to ask God to come and help us. So mercy, I want to give you the definition that we've defined it as. We define it as this, that when God intercepts judgment... When God intercepts judgment on our behalf in order to show kindness, all the while administering perfect justice. When God intercepts judgment on our behalf in order to be kind to us, in order to be good to us, He intercepts judgment with mercy, all the while administering perfect justice. His throne is established on righteousness and justice, yet there is a a rainbow of mercy that encircles his throne, a dome of mercy, if you will, that encircles his throne. So all the activities of God that, that God does in humankind, whenever God speaks a word, whenever God moves in an action in humankind, it comes through this veil of mercy that surrounds his throne. So he is always looking for the opportunity to be merciful, always looking for it. And in fact, in God, it's not even a choice that God really has to make because his name is mercy. It's one of the seven features of his name, merciful. So it's not even so much a choice that God has to make as much as it is an outflow of the being of God. Mercy is just who he is. Merciful is just what he does. It's always his activity with humankind. Merciful. I love it because I know that I am one that's uh, deserving of judgment. I know I've signed up in many ways, in many measures throughout my life for God's judgment. Yet because he's so kind and because he loves so much, he has intercepted judgment on my behalf by crushing his son for me so that I could obtain mercy through Christ Jesus. It's the reality of this life in Christ. It is an absolute uh, manifestation. If you're in Christ, it's a manifestation of this. God loves you and he's merciful towards you because he's crushed his son for you. He intercepted the judgment you're due by crushing his son under his own wrath because he loves you. It's called mercy. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us. That's Ephesians 2, 4. It's been our theme verse. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us. It is his love that empowers his mercy. 100% of the time. And the Bible says that all the paths of the Lord are mercy. All the paths of the Lord are mercy. What does that mean? That means this, he's always got your best interest at hand. He's always looking for your best interest, for the best interest of humankind. How can God show the maximum amount of goodness to humankind? It's, it's, it's this, all his paths are mercy. He always moves in mercy to be as good as possible to humankind. While not 
perverting his own justice. He moves in perfect justice. Yet, he moves in unusual kindness. It's called mercy. So I looked through all the verses of mercy in the Bible. Just thought, you know, I better read these. If we're going to talk about this, I better find out what does the Bible say. So there's a bunch of them. You can spend a whole lot of time, and I only really, really scratched the surface. But I found some phrases, some ways the Bible defines mercy. I thought it might be fun just to touch on a few of them. Uh, that the Bible says, you know, da-da-da, mercies, and explains mercies. So, number one, mercies defined. I want to give you these. Number one, God's mercies are defined as great. Great mercies. Second Samuel 24, 14 describes God's mercies as great. It's an interesting chapter. It's when David has sinned, and he's choosing whether he wants to fall in the hand of God or in the hand of men. And David said, oh, his mercies are great. I'll fall in the hand of God. David knew this God. He was, I will absolutely say, I know I've sinned. I know I deserve judgment. But I know that if I'll give myself to God to deal with me, he will always intervene with mercy. That's how he is. So David chooses God's mercy and God releases a judgment. But that, that judgment is absolutely wrapped in God's mercy. And I, and I think of this concept of great mercy and I think what is great what's he talking about he's talking about the scope and the scale the spectrum the size of God's mercy in other words it's like this there is no human mercy that you and I could show to another human that would in any way measure up to the greatness of the mercies of our God toward us His mercies toward us are without uh, comprehension and they're without compare. His mercies are great. Great means beyond the scope that we are able to give to one another. Great mercies God has towards you. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. I don't know about you. I mean, I know about me. I know about my own lack of piousness. That's a good way to say it. My own personal debauchery. I understand my brokenness and my sin. You know what I need? I don't need a little mercy. I need great mercy. I have to have it. If God isn't greatly merciful, I am greatly doomed. It's really what it is. Unless he's greatly merciful, I am so flawed and I've chosen so poorly so often. Unless he is greatly merciful, I am greatly doomed. For he is holy. In fact, he is holiness itself. It's not just an adjective. His name is holy. So by the virtue of that, I am not holy. I chose sin and found myself in sin. And therefore, I must have great mercy or I am greatly doomed. His mercies are great towards you. Greater his mercies. I pray that we would even, as David trusted God, David, in view of impending judgment, hear this, in view of impending judgment, David says, let me not fall into the hand of my enemy, let me fall into the hand of God. For his mercies are great. I pray that we would have a vision and have the same vantage point that David had of God. And we would understand that even when God releases judgment, it is an intervention of mercy. 
Oh, we've got to, that's, that's, we've got to get that point. That's it's so important for us right now. I'm telling you, if there is something we could put on the headline, it would be this. Know that he's merciful in a day of judgment. I'm saying day of judgment. I'm, just, I'm not just talking about a judgment seat or a judgment throne of judgment. I'm talking about judgment activities in the earth. We've got to get this, beloved. We've got to understand his goodness toward us. It's essential. His mercies are great. Secondly, Nehemiah 9.19, he's making appeal to God to move and rebuild the house of prayer and build the wall. And He says, according to your manifold mercies, many measures and many applications, the manifold mercies of God. God is merciful to us in so many different ways. I mean, without number, God has manifold mercies. I thought about that. You know, his mercies are new every morning, but they don't just stop being new daily. They are, uh, mercy. he's merciful in many, 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 many measures. All sorts of different circumstances and all sorts of different situations. God has manifold mercies. In other words, he's not just merciful toward your uh, sin in this measure. He's merciful toward your sin in this measure in manifold measures. Manifold mercies of God. It doesn't just apply to one specific instance. It applies to many, 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 many. His mercies are manifold. I like that. It covers all the bases. Three, his mercies are abundant. Nehemiah in the same prayer. He goes, not only are they manifold, do they cover a bunch of different issues, they are abundant. Your mercies are always more than enough. I remember one time when I was in college, I was... uh, I was uh, trying to share with somebody about Jesus. And I was uh, doing my best, but a little bit amped up, probably had too many cups of coffee, and I was a little energetic at 20. I know no one's ever been there. And I I said some dumb stuff. It just didn't work. And so I tried... (laughs) Telling them, you know, you need to get right with God, and da 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 da. And the person just got mad, and it was terrible. And I just felt so bad. I thought, oh, oh, I'm just, for certain, this person will never serve Jesus. Oh, no. And I remember getting in the car as I'm leaving, and I'm feeling so bad about this. And I had a, uh, I had a, a, a preaching tape on in my car. And wherever it had stopped, I just went ahead and put it back in and turned my radio on. And remember, right out of the preacher's mouth, out of the preacher's mouth, the first thing he said, he goes, there is nothing that you have done that is uh, too big for the blood of Jesus. I went, oh, that's good. That's good. Because <laughs> I just totally blew it. And uh, a few days later, this girl that I had tried to witness to, that I'd blown it so badly with. I mean, she was so offended. A few days later, she accepted Jesus and, you know, served the Lord and had nothing to do with me. It was fully in spite of me. What's the point? His mercies are abundant. Far bigger than any of your mistakes is the point. You can't make a mistake bigger than his mercies. He satisfied that with his blood of his son. It covers every sin for all time. Stuff you did in the past, stuff you'll do tomorrow. 
It's beautiful. Abundant mercies. And fourthly, tender mercies. Psalm 25, 6 talks about his tender mercies. This phrase in the New King James Version, it appears 12 different times. I thought it was interesting. You know, the, the word mercy is so sweet, but then you sweeten it up even more with tender. And I got into under these words and I said, what are you talking about? Tender mercies of God. What are you talking about? And come to find out, it's actually, uh, the, the Hebrew terms actually are talking about something that's the, the picture that the Hebrew terms give. Yes, it's tender mercy, but it's just such a vivid picture. It's the picture of a caring mother who has a baby in her womb. She's tenderly merciful for that child. The, the care and the compassion and the concern that she has over the baby in her womb is the tender mercies the Lord has toward you. So when God says, with my tender mercies, I will draw you, he's talking about looking at you with the same care and compassion a pregnant woman looks at the child in her womb. Powerful reality. You think of God as the all-powerful, this omnipotent God, fiery and Passionate. Sometimes we have this, um, this breakdown between understanding him as tender at that level. He goes, I am as tender and kind to you as a mother is over the baby in her, in her womb. It's powerful. Tender mercies. Nourishing and cherishing that baby. That's the way the Lord desires to be merciful to us. Fifthly, sure mercies. Isaiah 55, 3. Talked about that a little bit. Sure mercies are this, that you can count on God to be merciful. Not in a flippant way, not in a loose way, not in, I'll go ahead and do my sin because I know he's merciful. It's not that, that you go ahead and frustrate the grace of God. What it is, is that with a yes in your heart, when you're trying to be holy gods, you find yourself stumbling and making poor choices into sin. You know that his mercies are sure toward you when your heart has a yes toward him. If you have a, a, a yes in your heart toward God, to, to, the Bible says to those who obey his, his commandments, to those who fear him, that's a yes in the heart. If you have a yes in the heart toward the Lord, his mercies are sure toward you. You know that when you sin, when you fall, you can go back to him and his way toward you is merciful. And then finally, it describes him as the father of mercies. I thought this was fun. I wanted, I wanted to touch these. I just... Each one of these has a, a well in it, and I would encourage somebody to go into these wells and, and find out the depths of what these things mean. But our Father is the Father of mercies. And as I said earlier, He doesn't have to choose to be merciful. He is merciful. He is mercy itself. It's part of His name. It's part of His nature. He is the author of mercy. Mercy actually exists within God. It doesn't exist outside of God where God has to choose to be merciful. It's something from the being, the, the inside of who God is, and it's his natural propensity to be kind toward us. The Father of mercies desires you in love, and therefore he wants to be merciful toward your weakness. This is a good God. And so I started thinking about this whole concept of mercy, and I started thinking about this whole uh, 
thought, and I go, you know, I made this whole thing and this teaching about mercy being something that intervenes and cuts off judgment. And then I thought, but what about this word compassion? And come to find out, Billy, wherever you are, you sent, you sent this little word about compassion. I thought that was really cool. Because I actually started doing this, and I looked at that word later on. Hey, this is working. But compassion, I go, uh-oh, what about compassion? Well, what I found out is compassion is like the wonder twin of mercy. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Laps into Saturday morning cartoons from about eight years old. Okay, back to... <laughs> I hop at age 35. Here we go. The wonder twin of mercy, compassion. So compassion. Compassion is this. It's when God moves in kindness and God moves in sympathy out of love to lessen suffering and to meet needs. It's when he moves in kindness and sympathy to lessen suffering and to meet needs. It's called compassion. It's a difference than mercy. Mercy is that which intercepts judgment, but compassion is that which causes God's heart. And it it says the, the bowels of his heart yearn. That's what the term compassion is all about. This deep yearning and longing in the heart of God. He's got this aching when he sees those in need. He's got this aching when he sees those who, who are uh, without food and, and starving in the nations and homeless. And, and he has this aching and compassion for those that he sees that are suffering in the nations. The compassionate heart of God is pounding in this hour. And the intercessor with a prophetic bent is going to sense that compassionate heart and make intercession for those that are poor and needy in the nations and step in. And be God's hand to that person. I'm telling you, God's compassionate heart is yearning. It says it's, it's a, a moving of the, the, the deepest part of God, the bowels of his spirit. It's the compassion of God. If you look through the verses and you see when Jesus was moved with compassion, you will find in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, that when Jesus was moved with compassion, power encounters ensued. He would see people who were crippled. He would see people who were without food. He would see people in in distraught circumstances. And the Bible says he would be moved with compassion. You're wondering right now, how does God feel about the one that's starving in the nations? I'm telling you, his heart is aching with compassion. God has in no way forgotten the poor of the earth. You know, we go, well, if God was so compassionate... How come there's starvation in the earth? Well, the problem isn't with God, beloved. The earth, as it is today, produces 12% more food than the starving in the world need to live. Yet a third of the world is in starvation and another third of the world is in hunger. Yet the the earth produces 12% more food than we need. To feed everybody in the earth and and, and have them satisfied and not hungry anymore. The problem isn't with the heart of God being compassionate. The problem is with the heart of men being bent on sin. And while the earth makes 12% more food, two-thirds of the earth goes in starvation and hungry every year. 
In God's justice, his heart of compassion is moved. It yearns. The bowels of the heart of God moves, and he desires to meet the need of the suffering and the needy because he loves. Because he loves. When Jesus was moved with compassion, he healed all the sick of the multitude. I just went through the verses and found these things. When he was moved with compassion, he healed a leper. When he was moved with compassion, he healed two blind men. When he was moved with compassion, he uh, cast the devils out of the gathering demoniac. Both times when he fed the 4,000 and when he fed the 5,000, he was moved with compassion. He saw them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible says he taught them and then he fed them. Compassion in the heart of God. In compassion, he said, disciples, pray for laborers in the harvest. Because there's those in the earth and the fields are white for harvest. But there aren't laborers for the harvest. Pray that laborers would be sent out. It was the compassionate heart of God that saw the nations apart from God and in need of the knowledge of God. Compassion, he cast the devil out of the boy being thrown into the fire. And in compassion, he raised a young man from the dead when he saw his mother weeping. That's our Jesus. Compassionate, merciful. Okay, did you find Exodus 34 yet? I'm reading the menu to you so that you can go back later and you can do a study on mercy and you have these things right there before you. You have the concepts of mercy, you have the concepts of compassion. You have these thoughts. I'm just reading the menu to you. All right, let's look at Exodus 34 one more time. It's, it's God proclaiming his name to Moses. But I want to back up. Let's look at uh, chapter 33. And there's this conversation going on between God and Moses. And Moses makes this crazy bold statement. Verse 18. He says, show me your glory, please. Show me your glory. And the Lord answers in verse 19. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In verse 20, he answers curiously. And he says, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see my face and live. He goes, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand, uh, take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Isn't it interesting that the Lord makes a point to Moses? Moses didn't mention God's face. He mentioned God's glory. But the Lord answers back to Moses, and he says, you can't see my face. Well, what's the, why is he saying that? It's because when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, he asked to see the face of God. Because the glory of the Lord resonates from the countenance of God. In fact, he didn't just ask to see his face. The glory of the Lord is all the weightiness, all the abundance of God. What Moses was asking for was for God to completely unveil uh, everything so Moses could take in everything there is to take in about God. And so the Lord says back to Moses... I can't show you all my glory because if I show you my face, you will die. 
No human frame is able to withstand the fire and the light that comes off of my face. But I'll show you my backside. But he says this, and he answers him instantaneously, and he says, I will declare my name to you. Now consider it. Moses goes, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, I will declare my name to you. See, the glory of the Lord is more than a power thing. A lot of times in church we go, oh, the glory of the Lord is here. We're talking about a powerful uh, manifestation of the presence of God. But I want to tell you, the glory of the Lord is way more than just the power of God. It includes the power of God, but it's the beauty of God. It's the emotions of God. It's all the depth of God. It's all that God is. It's God's very abundance. So when Moses says, show me your glory, he goes, I want all that you are unveiled to me. I've got to have you. That's hunger. He's like really hungry. (laughs) Give it all to me. I mean, that's Moses. God goes, I'll give you everything but my face. That'll kill you. But I will say my name. Moses makes an appeal to know the glory of God, and God goes, I'll declare my name. What's he saying? He goes, my name will tell you about the depths of my emotions. And that's really what this was about. Moses wanted intimacy with God. God says, I will declare my name. In declaring his name, what he's saying is, I'm giving you my nature. And in declaring his nature, he's saying, I'm unveiling my emotions to you, Moses. I want you to know what's going on in my heart. Yes, I want you to experience my power. You will experience that, but I want you to feel who I am. I'll declare my nature, my name to you, Moses. And so when we get the answer, in the name of the Lord, this is the glory of the Lord. Do you see that? When God declares his name, he's declaring his glory, the depths of who he is at the heart level. The glory of the Lord is more than power. It's the emotions. It's the deepest place, the deepest treasures of his heart. So when the Lord declares his name, he's unveiling the depths of who he is to Moses. So when we get the name of the Lord, we're getting the depths of God's heart, getting the reality of who he is. And he says it this way, he goes, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, yet visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God unveils his heart to Moses. I want us to get that. That what we're hearing from the Lord is not just simply a title. We're getting the depths of his heart. So when he calls himself merciful, when he calls himself merciful to thousands, when he calls himself gracious, when he calls himself long-suffering, we're getting the emotions of God. What we need to do is we need to take... Somebody needs to take a year, two years in fasting and prayer and go into the name of God and get us a study on the name of God. And I tell you, the person that will do that will come out with such light on the knowledge of who God is, it will blow us all away. 
And this was so intense that when Moses comes down off the mountain, he had this, he's such an encounter with God, such an encounter with the, the presence of God. He's got to veil his face because his face is shining like a spotlight in the noonday sun in uh, the Middle East. It's bright over there in the, middle, in the Middle East, in the desert, without any trees or anything to, to shield. And Moses comes up off the mountain, and his face is lit up like a light bulb, too bright. They're getting a, they're getting a glare off of the face of Moses. Because God revealed his emotions. This is intense. I would that somebody would get this. And it's not... He didn't come off and say, the Lord, the Lord God, fiery and passionate, ready to bring power of encounters. Superhuman. I mean, he didn't. He was the Lord God. I mean, what did it sound like? Moses' ears heard it. He heard the voice of God say it. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. I mean, what kind of a tremor did that put in the heart of Moses? Long-suffering, gracious, abounding in goodness. It's interesting because if you look at the other versions, you find that the NIV and the NAS, both of them, they translate the name of God differently than the NKJV. They, they all three go a little different. And what I found out is I think the New American Standard actually gives us the most uh, clean uh, the most clean uh, translation of the name of the Lord. And so it would go like this. The Lord, the Lord God. And the first term for merciful in the NKJV is really probably more likely the word the NAS uses, which is compassionate. Yearning in the bowels of who he is for those in need and those suffering. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands. And it's interesting because the New American Standard uses the term loving kindness twice, whereas the NKJV uses the term uh, mercy or merciful twice. I started thinking about the concept of God's loving kindness. Deep delight in the heart of God to be kind to his people. He loves to be kind. He loves kindness. It's motivating his heart that, that he would be kind. I think about 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. God is patient. God is kind. If you think that God is mostly mad or mostly sad or quick to anger, generally, you, your emotions will also have that same reflection. You will be mostly mad, mostly sad, and quick to anger. And your prayer life will be anemic. Because who wants to pray to a God that's mostly mad? But if you believe God to be mostly glad, to be a joyful, good God who's compassionate and kind, you know what your heart will be like? Joyful and compassionate and kind. You know what your prayer life will be like? Easy. Because if you understand that he's glad, that he's joyful, and he rejoices over you with singing, as Zephaniah 3 says, you will easily approach his throne 
But what we generally do is we, we don't really, preachers don't really say it this way, but they sort of teach God as mad, sad, and mostly displeased. And therefore, we believe God to be mad and sad and mostly displeased and not affirming. And therefore, when we approach God, we kind of have this, this cowering thing going on. It's not healthy reverence. It's cowering before a mad God. And I want to say this. God is mostly glad and he's mostly affirming. He's compassionate, merciful, and kind. Slow to anger. That's our God. So I started dealing with these thoughts and it led me, of course, over to Jeremiah 9. Let's just look at this last verse. I'm going to make a, this verse and one other, and I'm going to make a point. This is equipment for our heart right now in this hour. We have to have this. Jeremiah 9 23. Thus says the Lord God, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Exercising loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Delighting in love to do kindness, not perverting justice, Moving in justice and establishing righteousness in the earth. For I delight in these. There's a delight in the heart of God to move in kind love toward you. Yet, there's another delight in the heart of God to establish justice in the earth. And then there's a third thing, he says, I want to establish righteousness. Here's the way the Lord does it. He wears loving kindness and he exercises loving kindness, mercy and compassion. He's always moving for our good. And in that, he's establishing justice. He's bringing justice for the poor. He's bringing justice for the widow. He's bringing justice for the orphan. He's bringing justice for his bride. He's bringing justice for those who are defrauded. He is the avenger of those who are defrauded. And in loving kindness to those, he brings justice unto this, establishing righteousness in the earth. This is the Lord, the Lord God. This is who he is. His first flow is who can I be kind to? Who can I move in loving kindness for on behalf of? And he uses loving kindness to release justice to establish righteousness. That's the way I see it. It's all three manifestations of the face of Jesus. The loving bridegroom the judge of the nations and the king of the earth. 
So, reading the menu on mercy, we're getting it a little bit. We're starting to get a little bit. He's merciful. He's compassionate. Slow to anger. He's gracious. Bounding in loving kindness. He's a good God. Now, this is what I want to deal with. This is the point. One more verse, Philippians 1. That was all introduction. I'm just trying to get to Philippians 1. What I realize is this. I read these verses and I'll make a few points. It's one of the apostolic prayers Paul prayed for the church in the New Testament. It's verse 9, he says, This I pray that your love may abound, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. He goes, I'm praying that you'd have a revelation of love, the love of God would be revealed in your heart, and that knowledge and discernment would explode in your heart. He goes, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this, in love. He's asking for that for the church, that their hearts would be alive in love. He's combining Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, those two prayers. He goes, I want you to abound in love, and I want you to have wisdom and discernment, knowledge and discernment. I want you to understand and know God and be alive in love. Why? That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Approving the things that are excellent. And here's what I want to I just touch on. What I'm coming to realize is this. There is, and it's not even, I was going to say low grade, there is a high grade offense in the heart of believers, especially in the West. A high-grade offense, and it kind of goes something like this. If God is a good God, he would never fill in the blank. If God is a good God, he would never do a judgment event. If God is a good God, he would never send someone to hell. If God is a good God, he would never do 9-11 or do a Katrina. If God is a good God, he would never fill in the blank. In the end times teachings, it goes like this. If God is a good God, he would never let his people go through something as bad as the tribulation. And what it boils down to is this. There's an offense in our hearts. Because what we've done is we've believed God to be different than he really is. I've spent the last however long in this message going over again the name and the nature of God, that he is clearly good. He's clearly compassionate. He's clearly merciful. Yet, God is a God that releases judgment in the earth. I'll say it again. God is a God that releases judgment judgment in the earth and when he releases judgment it is an act of his mercy and what he'll do many times is because the sin of a nation of a people of a city has signed up for judgment in a massive measure through great debauchery and great sin what he will do is he will intercept them with a lesser judgment to get them to turn toward him in repentance so that he can hold back the greater judgment that he that they have already signed up for with sin and so here's what happens 
I'm just going to go out on a limb a little bit. If God were to do something of a judgment event, like a hurricane or an earthquake in our city, it would be absolutely taboo for someone to come out and say, this was the judgment of God to get us to repent. Because there is this offense in the heart of many that if God is a good God, he would never do anything that we would consider to be negative. And what we've boiled it down to is this, that if it messes with my comfort and if it messes with my money, then it's not God. And I tell you, God has no problem messing with your comfort. He's got no problem messing with your money because he wants to get to your heart. He's exceedingly merciful and he doesn't want you to go to hell. Therefore, he will intercept that which you signed up for in mercy, even by bringing judgment because he loves you. And we have got to know right now. He, beloved, I'm telling you, we have to know right now. He is merciful. He desires and delights in loving kindness. He's compassionate and good and long-suffering. And we have to understand that right now, If and when judgments are released in the earth, it's God's activity of kindness to circumvent and to intervene to get us to turn from sin and to wholly turn toward God. Let me just give you a thought. Dawned on me this week, the nation of Israel in the wilderness. God wanted a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19. He says, I want all of you to be priests unto me. I want you to all have access with me. God said, I want to have intimacy with all of you. Instead, when they heard the voice of the Lord thunder, they were fearful. 2.2 million people drew back and said, Moses, you be the priest. We'll do whatever you say. We can't take this. So they draw back. Moses goes in and God establishes a priesthood through one tribe, the Levites. Unto this, Christ Jesus becoming a high priest through a completely different order. And the man Christ Jesus, he dies on behalf of all men and again opens up the door that in Christ Jesus we could all have access and be a kingdom of priests. That's what Peter told us. Now here's what we do. We flippantly throw around this term. Oh, we're all kings and priests unto our God. Do you understand what it means to be a kingdom of priests unto God? Jesus died so there would be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? People who live holy, consecrated unto God, in intimacy with God. That's what a kingdom of priests is all about, beloved. It's not some flippant mental thing where you just go, oh yeah, I believe in God. God is jealous. He is absolutely fiery and in love. Yes, he's merciful, but he is desirous at the same time. And so when God says, I crushed my son to make you a kingdom of priests, what is he looking for? He's looking for all day long intimacy with his people, nothing less. He's not looking for a little dabble, do your religion. He's not looking for some mental ascent where people, you know, they, they, they join an institution, they make a deposit in the offering once a week, and they show up one time and they say, yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a Christian, or I'm a part of this, this institution. Look, no, he's not looking for that at all. He's looking for a relationship. 
that transcends institutions. Whether it's IHOP or a denomination, that doesn't even matter. He doesn't care what the institution is. He wants the hearts of men. It's what God wants. It's what he wanted with the nation of Israel. He wanted an all-day nation that would know him and love him. They turned back from that mostly. And he kept trying to work it out so that they could say yes in different measures. And, and they kept saying no, no, no. He sends Christ to them and they say no. Jesus is crushed, sheds his blood. And whosoever will believe in Christ Jesus can become this kingdom of priests. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of priests is not just about having some mental assent with your mind that yes, I believe in God. It's about having a night and day intimate relationship with God. So what am I saying? I'm saying this, that God is so zealous for his people. And he is so desirous to be merciful. And he's so kind and so good. He will do whatever inter- interventions he has to do to get the heart of his people. Even if it means releasing catastrophic sort of things in the earth. Now you think I'm making something up, but if you will read Matthew 24, you'll find these terms there. These things must come to pass. Must. In fact, let's just, let's just flip over there. I know I said one more verse. Let's just look at it. I got your attention now. My heart is trembling right now. I'm, I'm trembling because of the prophetic words that are coming forth right now. And there's, there's something coming. There's a shaking coming to our city. There is definitely a shaking coming. That's why we have been directed so strongly in this little thing on mercy. We've got to perceive God, who he is, and, and perceive him rightly so we don't have offense in our heart that when God moves in judgment, we understand where is he coming from. And many will stand and say, that's not God. And many will say, if you say it is God, you are lying, you are wrong. And I tell you, God will continue to do what he's got to do to get the hearts of men. He is a very jealous God who is in love, deeply in love, and knows your best interest. Matthew 24, Jesus describing the signs of the times of the generation that will see his return. He says this, verse Five, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. All these things must come to pass. Verse seven, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places these are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs i'm not trying to scare you i'm just trying to give you a little forecast i guarantee i don't even have to be prophetic i guarantee those things are going to happen guarantee they're going to happen why jesus the greatest prophet who ever lived said it and he said they must come to pass Why must we have an understanding of the God who is merciful? Because if we do not have an understanding of the God who is merciful, even when he's moving in judgment, we will fall into the trap that he said many will fall into. He said, verse 10, Then many will be offended. Many will betray one another. Many will hate one another. Verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
I want to invite the worship team to come and just want to wrap this up. I am absolutely convinced one of the greatest necessities of our heart right now is to understand the God who is merciful. It's to understand God who wants compassion, who wants to be merciful to people. It's one of the greatest needs of our heart. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves believing God to be something completely different than he is. And it is so taboo. Look right now, if you consider the 9-11 event, the Katrina event, and look at the guys that came out in the news and said, it was the judgment of God on our nation. And what happened? As soon as those guys said that, people came out against them and said, that's so politically incorrect, you are so wrong, and they got everybody to call in and write letters, and the next thing you know, the guy comes back out and goes, I was, uh, yeah, I was wrong. Look, Jesus was not politically correct, beloved. He really wasn't. He really, really wasn't. And I believe that God wants a witness in a day when he is going to do actions and activity in the earth. And they're going to continue to intensify and increase. He wants a witness who will stand up and say, it absolutely was God's hand and he absolutely is good. He absolutely loves people and he'll do whatever it takes to get to the heart of man. Let's just stand. Lord, you are merciful. Lord, give us a revelation that you're the father of mercies. Tenderly merciful. Let us see and know your heart. Just as Moses asked for your glory, would you reveal the emotions and the great desires, the gladness of your heart, the delight you have in people? Lord, would you let us see and let us know the way you feel? God, that we would understand that even when you move in judgment, you 